the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We uh, turn our attention uh, this hour to the increasing number of fatal drug overdoses, primarily from uh, opioids. And I have uh, some experts from Sacred Heart University joining me by phone. They are uh, Susan Denisco and Carrie Milner. And Susan, Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. Hi. Great to be here. Um, let's let's start out. Uh, I, I, I guess this is going to be a little awkward, but for the most part, people have been you know closed in for a year now uh, because of the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, and a lot of things have been sort of overshadowed by daily reports that have to do with. Uh, pandemic numbers, uh, people infected, people recovering, people who have died from COVID-19. And then, of course, now the uh, um, the vaccines and, and the rollout of vaccines and so on. Um, you've been working around this issue of opioid uh, addiction and overdoses and use um, since before then, but has there been something going on that we're not hearing about with regard to fatal drug overdoses from opioids and, and other medications? Um, well, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll take that. Um, is no, this Susan? I, I think, I think, this is Susan, yeah. I think that the um, things have been overshadowed. We don't hear about it quite as much because, of, like you said, there's a lot of media press on the COVID pandemic. Um, I do think that the COVID pandemic has contributed somewhat to fatal 
uh, overdoses in terms of people being socially isolated that have addiction issues. Um, you know, people have been, the, the social isolation quarantine has, you know, triggered feelings of loneliness, you know, stress, being depressed, anxious. And then people are using drugs in isolation from others. And so if they did overdose, there wouldn't be somebody around to, you know, perhaps, you know, wake them up or give them Narcan. So it's multifactorial, but, you know, we can go into sort of the history of, you know, how the opioid crisis started way back in the 90s. Um, so I don't know if, you know, you want me to touch on that. Well, or, yeah, or yeah, absolutely. Has there been an increase of fatality over this past year? Yeah, and um, Sue, I can take that one. Um, sure. Tom, I think Thanks, Carrie. Um, it's, um, you know, we have a silent crisis going on that's been overshadowed um, by the pandemic because in the um, period from uh, May of 2019 to May of 2020, we've had over 81,000 overdose deaths in the United States, and that is the highest number of overdose deaths ever recorded in a 12-month period. Now, how, so does that, how does that square with the fact that you and others have been working very hard, very diligently, to encourage doctors to use alternatives to opioids for pain management, for example? So I think the efforts have been successful for decreasing the number of prescriptions for opioids um, and the appropriate treatment for acute pain and chronic pain. We've seen improvement in that. And the data, um, you know, supports that, that the number of prescriptions are down. The issue is, is that... Um, you can get your um, synthetic opioids on the street. What's what's an and example of that, a of a synthetic sure. opioid? So um, that would be um, primarily um, right now it's fentanyl, and the fentanyl can be made by um, illegal labs. And the issue is is that these illegal labs are not um, you know regulated. So one lab could make fentanyl at a lower dose. Another lab can make fentanyl at a higher dose. Um, somebody turns to the street to get their um, drug, their opioid, and they take the fentanyl that is a lot higher than they're used to, and they end up dying. And um, this is the primary driver of the increases in overdose deaths um, that are being reported. Um, it's deaths due to fentanyl. There also, um, just to mention that there also, some of the labs are also mixing, um, you know, tranquilizers that are used in, uh, you know, vets' offices vet for veterinary medicine into the heroin. And so that's another factor. Um, and, you know, heroin's being cut with all sorts of other substances, including, you know, rat poison, talcum powder, um, flour, you know, which can also, like, you know, disrupt the body system when they, you inject. Is, I'm, I'm still kind of haunted by uh, the, the number Carrie gave of 81,000 plus deaths in a, in a year's time from uh, 
fatal drug overdoses and and the fact that that's a significant increase are these by and large accidental or as as Susan suggested you know perhaps there are some people that are um snapping a little bit under the the pressure of of anxiety and depression i would say that um most of the overdose deaths are accidental um you know that's the highest percentage is that people are using and they're you know they don't know what they're using and you got to remember when somebody's addicted to opioids they have they lose control over um themselves and they crave the opioids well more is better yeah more more is better and they get a tolerance to the amount that they had you know they were taking they develop a physical dependence and so they need more physically um and and then as well as mentally their you know their brain kind of gets uh recircuited in you know wanting more and more of that pleasure there's a you know part of the brain that um, when you take an opioid, you secrete endorphins, you know, the happy neurotransmitter. And so they want that, um, that feeling. You know, I look at addiction, it's a, it's a mental illness. It's a, you know, it's, you know, I'm a nurse practitioner and you can find the criteria for addiction in, you know, a psychiatric manual that um, providers use, you know, when you're making mental health diagnoses. You know, unfortunately, it is, it's an illness. Are the ingredients used by these illegal labs and, and ultimately uh, um, the drugs that end up on the streets that people are, are seeking because they're not getting them from doctors as much, are, are these ingredients um, legal and readily available? So this is, you know, what we're working on um, as healthcare providers is trying to understand that when we prescribe opioids, which, you know, for pain, which is legal, they can get into the wrong hands. Some people that have chronic pain will take their Percocet or, um, you know, Vicodin, and they'll use it for themselves, but they'll also divert it to family members. They will divert it to people, you know, uh, drug dealers to make money. I'm gonna, you know, they sell their pills, and so that's where, you know, as healthcare providers, we need to be educated about all of these things and how, you know, we need to limit the supply. We need careful guidelines in terms of when we do prescribe it, that we're doing it appropriately. You know, we're not under prescribing, we're not over prescribing, and we're kind of keeping an eye on the patient. We but- do give it. But, Susan, I, I was talking about what Carrie referred to as um, uh, illegal labs that are mixing and, and making uh, um, fentanyl. Um, and, and I guess what I was getting at is, are, are the ingredients they're using, is this a fairly easy thing for someone who's unscrupulous to do? Can they Can they get the things they use to make up these drugs fairly easily um i i mean i would have to i mean anything's easy to get right and i definitely it's illegal um it's illegal to um you know manufacture fentanyl in these labs and then sell it 
to people um, for personal use um, because in the United States you need a prescription um, from a provider, either a nurse practitioner or a physician, um, uh, and you need an indication um, for using these um, types of drugs. Um, so, you know, my answer in a short, you know, not have, knowing a lot about, um, you know, uh, these labs um, and how they do it, that, um, yes, that you can get anything. But I've, um, I've read and, and heard things about, uh, um, well, the, the last attorney general uh, here in Michigan uh, a couple of years ago was teaming up with, with some um, doctors, pharmacists, and, and other organizations. And, and they were trying to curb uh, the purchase of certain kinds of combinations of things. Like if you could tell somebody was stocking one of these illegal labs that, that a red flag would go off. Um, have those efforts not really been effective? I think um, the, so where we have to put our resources is treatment. Um, it's called medication assistant treatment um, for patients who have opioid misuse, abuse, or addiction. And unfortunately, there's not enough of these um, uh, clinics. Um, MAT, it's called MAT for short. Um, we are currently working with one of them um, for, our, for our grant, the Alltech grant. And um, this particular facility, it's one of, we need so many more, they're getting like 30 to 50 referrals a week um, for patients that have opioid abuse, misuse, addiction, and they need the medication assistant treatment program. So this is where um, providers prescribe um, buprenorphine. Um, buprenorphine is um, um, a, um, you know, like methadone. Um, you take it, you don't get the um, high that you would get from, you know, taking something like fentanyl. Um, it's managed closely under a nurse practitioner or a provider. Um, it's, um, you know, the patients can be seen in the office or um, the federal regulations have changed because of COVID, so there can be telehealth visits. And um, it can be used um, to help someone um, come off of opioids or maintain them um, on the buprenorphine instead of the opioids. And it's a much safer um, way of doing things because we do have a patient population that will, um, you know, need buprenorphine um, as their treatment, and they'll need to continue to stay on it. Carrie, so I need to put a, I need to put a comma here, Carrie. Um, Susan, can you and and Carrie, can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk about this some sure. more? Okay, I have to take a, uh, a short break here. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint, um, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. 
Hi, welcome back, everybody. We're talking with um, Susan Denisco and Carrie Milner from Sacred Heart University uh, about um, opioid uh, use, addiction, and uh, unfortunately fatalities. Uh, anyway, uh, Susan, Carrie, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Thank you for having us back. Enjoy your music, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. I'm glad because a lot of it's by local people, and they'll they'll appreciate it. Yes, too. you have a very uh, unique radio show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was going for. Um, but but let's let's get back to this. Just before the break, we were we were talking a little bit about. Uh, um, the increase in fatal drug overdoses, especially as it relates to opioids. Um, this is something, did this sneak up on us? Were we just kind of asleep at the wheel? Because I know that since the beginning of the use of these drugs, that there were um, concerns about them becoming addictive. And there were a lot of regulations and a lot of rules, procedures, and protocols, and so on. Um, how did we get to the point where so many people have gotten addicted to these things? Well, I, I can take this one, Carrie. So, so back in the 90s, there was a paper put out in the New England Medical Journal. It talked about that if you prescribe opioids for pain, people can't get addicted. They, there was a little, or there was a brief study, a case study, and so that's when big pharma came in and started, you know, um, pushing OxyContin on doctors' offices. They were marketing very heavily, you know, that and pain became the fifth vital sign. So we were encouraged to prescribe opioids for pain. And that was a good, you know, decade and decade and a half until we started to, all of a sudden, people were then turning to heroin because they, they couldn't afford to buy, you know, um, they couldn't afford to get pills, their Percocet, their Vicodin, those things. So then we saw the rise in the heroin addiction because it was a cheaper alternative. And, and now that's why we're seeing this increase in opioid, uh, the, the problem, the death. You know, for people who aren't addicted, it, it seems almost implausible that anyone would say, yeah, it hurts, but and, and I can't afford, you know, to buy the, the drugs that my doctor was prescribing to me, so I'll take heroin. It, it just seems like that would be an unacceptable alternative to most people. Mm-hmm. So, Sue, do you want me to, I can Yeah, go ahead, Carrie. Um, yep. So, um, it's a, um, um, if anybody's interested in, you know, finding out more about how that happens, um, there's, um, Travis Reeder is a bioethicist out of, um, John Hopkins, and he, uh, wrote a book called Pain in 2015, and it talks all about how he was involved in a motorcycle crash and needed uh, multiple surgeries. And he became um, dependent on opioids. 
and it talks all about his struggle. And this is somebody who, um, you know, run-of-the-mill person, um, didn't have any addiction issues, um, and he describes how, um, you know, trying to come off the opioids was uh, the feelings like um, 200 times what you would feel when you have a flu, and that you um, you had to get the drug um, because you felt like you were dying. And so um, his description, um, I think that's in those moments that you could, um, people could reach for um, illegal substances um, to try to make that feeling go away. So it's the, it's actually the chemical dependence and not the euphoria that people can't seem to set aside. Yes, and that um, in those situations, um, um, you know, we probably need to do better as providers for um, recognizing um, you can have opioid dependence, um, you know, after um, a few weeks of using opioids. You know, they've even reported it as you can have it after a week. So um, say you're, um, you had shoulder surgery. Um, so that's a popular rotator cuff surgery um, in the United States. Um, and you're prescribed a 30-day supply of um, opioids to manage your pain. Now, um, I can let uh, my colleague comment on that. You know, things are in place now that, um, you know, for um, limiting what you can prescribe um, to try to prevent that. Um, Sue, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, Tom, we, we know that chronic pain is the most common reason why people go to visit their healthcare provider. Back pain, arthritis, hip pain, um, you name it, joint pain. And so we do want to help people and we want them to be comfortable and we want to treat the pain, but we are hesitant, as, as uh, Dr. Milner said, to give um, too much opioid because the risk of addiction, you know, there's, like Harry said, one one week. Um, but, you know, anybody that's on opioids for three months or more are at, at risk for addiction and overdose. So we have put into place um, across the country the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program, which is a statewide electronic database where we can go in there as a healthcare provider when we are giving an opioid and we can see the amount of morphine equivalents that the patient was prescribed, the number of prescriptions that were filled, the names of the other providers that have given opioid prescriptions, um, the, the pharmacies that the patient went to, and this helps us decide, you know, identify that misuse and diversion of the medication. Uh, you know, go ahead. Is it, po is it possible for someone who's using fentanyl or Oxycontin um, or, or any of these, uh, these op uh, opioids or, or substitutes, is it possible for them to be addicted and, and high-functioning? Yes. Yeah, and some people are very good at covering that addiction. But once it gets to a certain point, say as Carrie mentioned, somebody has shoulder surgery or knee surgery and they get their uh, healthcare provider is kind of lenient with the amount of medication they get. Once the, and, you know, they become addicted to it 
and then the provider cuts them off and says no, that's when um, they start to, you know, go out on the street to buy those pills, OxyContin or OxyCodone, and then they require more and more and more because their physiologic uh, tolerance um, goes up. Are there are there tells, and and have people, um, in other words, someone who's addicted can someone else easily recognize that that addiction is taking place, and are there steps they should take, uh, by way of of intervention or perhaps uh, notification to an appropriate uh, uh, clinic or agency. Um, I could take that one too. So sure. um, opioid overdose signs, um, uh, you know, the, um, you know, we'll talk about just the signs um, of drugs or opioid addiction or abuse. So um, you're, you could see your family member um, needing to take more and more of the opioid. Um, so they're not um, taking their um, opioid as prescribed. Um, they start to isolate themselves from family or friends. Um, they could be stealing from family and friends, lying. Um, they could have a new um, lack of money. They don't have money or it's financial troubles. And these are people who would normally not behave that way. Correct. This um, is this is strictly that, about their need for the drug. Yes. Yes. Yes, you notice like your loved one is more argumentative or irritable, you know, having mood swings, you'll see that maybe there's a decline in their hygiene, the way they take care of themselves. You know, they're not functioning as well. You know, these are the signs that, you know, your loved one is in trouble. Um, and then, you know, sometimes people are, you know, at the same time using alcohol self-medicate along with, you know, benzodiazepines or tranquilizers. So these are like the red flags. Yeah, I, I, I played music for many years, and um, it, you know, it may surprise you to find out that there were people that, that played music that used drugs. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but, uh, but uh, I, I knew a particular musician that had a long-running emotional problem for which he was being treated with drugs and he used to to drink alcohol and and he used to jokingly refer to it as fine-tuning his medication oh my goodness that's that's that's, that's sort of that's, yeah. it's it's funny in a way and then it's it's not because that's how okay. a lot of times people get away with substance abuse has it been worse because of the pandemic because people are isolated and and not in public view? Yeah, so um definitely because the um what has happened is is that the covid quarantine um has created social isolation and this has made it more difficult for individuals to maintain their mental health, you know, especially people in recovery. Um, and this isolation um, may have triggered feelings of loneliness, stress, depression, and anxiety. Um, then, you know, you have these feelings. You're not able to um, see the nurse practitioner and, or physician. And this early in the pandemic, 
um, very challenging um, for people to have a mental health visit. Um, so um, what did they decide to do? They decided to self-medicate. Um, and it could start with alcohol, um, but then it becomes a slippery slope because your um, decision-making is impaired at this point. Um, so then you could move into um, opioids. And then, um, like Dr. Danisco said earlier, um, you are doing this alone. Um, no one's around you. Um, no one can give you the Narcan um, to reverse the opioid overdose. And that's why we're ending up with more deaths. Do you think that that number will decline once uh, people have been vaccinated for COVID and begin to to mingle and and uh, and see other people? Do you think we'll see a um, more people intervening and and more people seeking the the help that they need, or or at least getting the help that they need um, in a post-pandemic new normal? I, I'm hopeful for that. Um, you know, it's been difficult this year <clears throat> as healthcare providers. We've had to limit our, um, our visits to telehealth visits. So, and, you know, many of our patients don't have the resources to really do an actual video telehealth visit where you can see them and assess them, you know, right. via camera. So it makes it difficult to know what's really going on with people when, you know, you're talking on the phone, you, you know. Um, so I'm hopeful that, you know, as we all get vaccinated and can get back to normal, that we can, you know, open up treatment more for patients. Because it's been, you know, somewhat limited and, you know, it's been done in a very different way than we typically treat patients. Has there... I would just like... Go ahead, Carrie. I was just going to add to that. I mean, a lot of the information that we have is anecdotal. So, um, you know, this will need to be studied in a rigorous way. But one of the things that I'd like to add on to what Dr. Vanisco just said is that one of the silver linings of COVID is telehealth or um, managing people with opioid um, abuse, misuse, and addiction. And that this, it may help our numbers um, that we're able to access people through telehealth visits to help them with their mental health. Whereas before, we may not have been able to, um, you know, these people would have never connected with us. Um, so that could be a positive, but it needs to be studied. Has yeah. the, go, oh, no, go, go ahead, we Susan. Have, we also have to, you know, educate the, you know, the, pop, the patients when they're young. Um, this has to start, you know, um, in, in childhood. Adolescents are at such high risk for opioid substance abuse as well, especially coming from, you know, if people, you know, we know the statistics on people that have predilections towards addiction. It's people that live in poverty. Um, it's people that have had parents that were in jail people that have suffered sexual abuse as children. So that's the other side of the coin is that we have to do some teaching and um, risk assessment much, you know, early on um, when, when kids turn 13, 12. I, I don't, 
I'm not very good with, with chemistry and medications and all that. Most of them I can't even pronounce. But um, is there any concern or, or anything that has started to um, manifest itself with regard to interaction between COVID vaccines and, um, and, and the drugs that people are already taking? Yeah, I'm not aware of um, anything. How about you, Sue? Um, no. That's come out yet for, you know, the different, um, you know, we belong to our different practice organizations. Um, uh, our Department of Public Health sends us alerts. Um, and um, that's a really, um, the Public Health Department for our state is a big um, uh, source of timely information like that. And nothing's come through yet. Yeah, I also believe that people that are addicted um, have poor health, and so those are the people that really need to get the COVID vaccine to protect themselves. They can't afford to get COVID because they're the ones that will succumb to COVID um, more than somebody that's healthy. But and, um, but you don't you don't have a concern that drugs that they're taking will interact with the the vaccine or um, make the, the vaccines less effective? I mean, if we take the flu vaccine, that people get the flu vaccine yeah. every year and what we know about that, um, that there haven't been any issues with that. So that's like the closest we could, you know, make the analogy um, between um, the COVID vaccine and the flu. So um, in theory, um, there shouldn't be an issue. Um, And that I would, um, so there is um, one um, way to address opioid overdoses um, in the United States that is not legal. Um, it's called supervised injection centers or um, supervised consumption. And they are legal in Canada. Um, and so um, picture this would be a place that people could go and use their um, whatever their drug of choice is in a safe environment where they have clean needles. Um, they, uh, people are, um, providers are there if they should need emergency care. Um, there's one such site that's an underground site in the state of California. And this site um, put out um, their five-year data in the New England Journal of Medicine um, in the last year. And over a five-year period, they only had 30 um, overdoses, no deaths. And they had more than, um, I hope I'm remembering this correctly, I think it was more than 10,000 um, uh, visits to the uh, site. Is there advocacy for more of those kinds of, of centers as a, uh, a short-term um, fix to avoid death? Yeah. It's a tough, I, I make the parallel between, um, you know, we live in Connecticut and New Haven. The city of New Haven um, was the first um, site in the United States that used supervised needles um, and a needle exchange program. Um, and it was very unpopular um, because people felt that um, if you give people needles, we, that we're going to see more use. Well, and, and also that you may be condoning it in some way. Yes, yes. So it's, um, 
you know, there's resistance on that side that if we have these, um, you know, supervised injection site centers, um, we are going to be condoning it and we are going to have more drug users in the United States. So it's, um, uh, it, it would, it could be an answer. It's an answer in other um, countries. Um, well, it's, it, it's at least, it, it's at least curbing the number of overdoses and, and if, if everyone is as successful as, uh, this place in California that you referred to, um, at least eliminating deaths from this while other treatments are considered and encouraged. Absolutely. And it also, um, you know, other issues are HIV, um, hepatitis B and C. It cuts down on um, those um, diseases that are, um, can be a huge um, burden to society for treatment. Well, Susan and Carrie, we're almost um, we're almost out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. And and you referred to a, a couple of things, Carrie. But if um, maybe maybe if we could start with Susan and um, suggest uh, you know some. Sure. I want to also. Oops, I want to let your um, listeners know what the signs of um, over-medication is. You know, if they have a loved one that's, yeah, you please. know, taking or not really sleepy, you know, are they confused, kind of not making sense? Um, they weak, speech where they sound intoxicated. And then are they having trouble breathing? Do they look like they're having trouble breathing and their lips are turning blue, they need to, you know, call 911. And if anybody has a loved one that's addicted at home, they should have a um, Narcan on hand, which is medication used to reverse the effects of opioid overdose. And you can pick up Narcan, I believe, in the state of Michigan, as well as in Connecticut. You can get Narcan at a pharmacy without a doctor's prescription. Hmm. Um, the cost is about 90 bucks. Um, I don't know if insurance covers it, but you can. You should have that on hand if you have a loved one that is addicted to medication um, or heroin to have it on hand because you can save a life that way. That's a good idea. Carrie, is there um, a, a good uh, website or resource where, uh, with links to lots of information about these issues? Uh, yes. The main website that um, people should check out is um, uh, is SAMHSA. Um, so that's the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services um, website. Um, it's a government-run website. Um, it has everything from finding treatment to, um, you know, latest breaking um, news about different um, uh, addiction, mental health issues, um, there's publications, there's data, um, but that is um, a great place to start. Um, well, we have to so end it there, but thanks so much to both of you, Carrie Milner and Susan Denisco. Great. Thanks for having us, Tom. Bye-bye.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked so what are you waiting for stop hiding and start living with tequila from 
This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I was talking about doctors, and there was an item in the paper about they had put up $200,000 to study witchcraft because they had found that some of the things that witch doctors had been teaching for ages had some definite therapeutic value, either uh, psychosomatic or or definite uh, medicinal cures, and to see if the modern doctor could learn anything from witchcraft. And the reverse might be also true. Uh, I wonder how far the witch doctor has progressed, how many of the modern medical theories or practices he has adapted to his needs. And uh, this is a witch doctor, and I'm sure like any other doctor, he gets a phone call in the middle of the night. Hello. Oh, hi. Hi, Mrs. Kumba. No, no, that's, that's all right. I've, I would have been getting up another five, six hours anyway. <laughs> the, the crops are withering, and, and your son is seeing demons, huh? Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of that going around. I, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. So, sounds like a 24-hour curse to me. I would... Well, I'll tell you, if you're really concerned, um, do you have any bark of a tree that was uh, struck by lightning in the light of a full moon in the medicine chest? Yeah, you might sprinkle some of that on him every four hours. And if he isn't any better in the morning, why? Gee, I, I couldn't possibly come out to the house. No, I, I, I don't make hut calls anymore, uh, Mrs. Crumber. No, I, I haven't danced around the house in, in years, you know. If you don't, you don't stay with it, uh, you know, you lose it. Mrs. Crumber, I don't, I don't care how many chickens you're going to give me. I, you know, it just isn't worth my time. The, go- the government takes uh, most of them anyway, you know, so... Well, I can recommend a good demon man. I, I, don't, uh, you know, I don't happen to specialize in, in demon work. He's uh, pretty good. There's, uh, there's one intern, a uh, guy just got out of school. He, he still makes house calls, but, uh, you know, that, that should tell you something about the guy, you know. It, well, he's a little slow, you know. He has to paint the steps around the house be, before he does a dance, you know. And, yeah, and then sometimes he'll, you know, instead of curing the curse, it'll, it'll rain, you know. Well, they're very similar dances, you know. If you, if you don't know what you're doing, you, you can wind up with a thunderstorm for about five or six days. You know? Well, you're free to call him. I tell you what you could do. Uh, you might wrap him in some mud and, and put some, uh, some leaves around him and, and put him out in a field where some hyenas uh, congregate. And, well, it, it won't help the curse, no, but sometimes their laugh can become infectious, you know, and it might cheer him up a little bit, you know. Well, I'll tell you, if he doesn't feel better in the morning, uh, why, why don't you bring him in, yet? Yeah? Oh, that's right, tomorrow is Wednesday, isn't it? Uh, well, I'll tell you what the hell, we don't tee off till 1.30. Why don't you bring him in in the morning? All right, goodbye, goodbye. This was another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
nothing had. Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 